Father, would you help us to humble ourselves before you and your word, Lord, in a liberating way. Jesus said that to know the truth, to drink it in, to imbibe it, to act on it is to be liberated and free. Lord, would you give us a piece of your word this morning that frees us more fully into the glorious liberty of the sons of God into which you've called us. In Jesus' name, Lord, and for his glory. Amen. Uh, The teaching we're looking at this morning uh, is one that the topic is one that I was asked by several people to address, and it's an important one. It's been near and dear to my heart uh, for as long as I've been a Christian. Um, In uh, October 5th, 1976, I was a sophomore at Kansas State University. I was minding my own business. I was spending some time at the student union between classes. And a guy that I knew was with Campus Crusade was there, and he had his little uh, little folder out and his little surveys, you know. And, and I knew who he was, and, and he asked, did I have time for a quick survey? I'm doing nothing better, sure. So, you know, he starts asking me the questions, what do you believe, what's your experience, etc. It's all elicited to get you to talk about where you're at spiritually with the Lord. And so, of course, the longer we talk... Uh, I'm hearing the gospel, not for the first time, but in a way I had not heard it related to the application before. And so uh, I prayed that day, October 5th, 1976, to accept Christ. I recognized the truth of the gospel that I was a sinner. You know, I knew that, but it was nice that somebody else told me that. It sort of freed me. You know, this life I'm, I'm living, I was not a happy person. And I mentioned before, my life looked great on the outside. I was dying on the inside. And so when I heard the gospel expressed, I got that that was what I was lacking. That for everything else in my life, the huge emptiness in the middle was that I didn't have Christ. And so I heard and I believed that day, I trusted on Jesus as my Savior. Uh, Jim Cook was a low-key guy as an evangelist there, very low-key And he said, uh, Mike, uh, do you feel any different right now? I said, well, no, I don't. You know, matter of fact, the the clouds did not part. I heard no voices from heaven. There was no earthquakes. There was nothing that went on in the world around me. And this was his point. So, Mike, do you feel any different? No, I don't feel any different. Does that make any difference, Mike? No, it makes no difference because he was taking me through the four spiritual laws And that it's the facts, it's the truth that is meant to guide my life. That it's not my feelings. You know, feelings will take us all over the place, but it's the truth, it's the facts. So so he helped me to understand that day that, that I had been forgiven, that I was a new creature, whether I felt it or not. Now, I was very slow as a young Christian to grow in the faith. I say this to my shame today, I'm confessing it to you this morning, but... You know, the truth was, I started reading my Bible, and the Bible started making sense in ways it never had before, and that was great. I remember Romans 12, 2, in the, not really a translation, a paraphrase that I was reading at the time, be a new and different person in all you do and think. Well, I wanted to be a new and different person. That appealed to me. I loved that verse. You know, the trouble was, What I had done was I had firmly fixed my feet in two different worlds. I loved the fact that I was saved and going to heaven on one hand, and I started meeting new Christians. I started learning a little bit about the Bible. You know, the truth was, though, I was embarrassed of the gospel in other frames of reference. 
because I was still with my partying buddies too. And I was of two minds. And really, I found that I had two sets of, of appeals and desires. You know, I had a new set, and I was learning a little bit more about those, but I had an old set. And I was having trouble sort of making one life, one new life, out of this experience. I was double-minded. I was a split personality. I had two minds, two hopes, two sets of dreams. <clears throat> and friends, what was true of my experience, it's true of you too. It was, or it is, or it will be. If, if you have gained new creation status through faith in Jesus Christ, my experience has been, is, or will be yours as well. Because this was not unique. Um, I was a little slow coming around, but this experience that I had, it's true for believers generally. You know, uh, the 2 Corinthians 5.17 verse, I love, you probably do too, uh, I need God to tell me that when I've trusted in Him, old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. And I'm loving that, I'm hearing that, I'm embracing that. But you know the trouble with that is, so, old things passed away, all things behold are new. Okay. Until I look at my own life. And then I say, well, I know what the verse says, but it's not really what I'm seeing in my experience. It looks like there's a lot of the old Mike still around. So old things, new things passed away. This is the new. Where, where is that? And how does that fit in with my life and yours? For instance, you know, as I was walking down the road of life as a new Christian, coming more and more to grips with what God's call on my life was meant to look like, I'm now struggling because... I've got old sinful habits and desires that they're with me. They're following me around like those stray dogs that followed me home when I was a kid looking for a little handout. Or words that would come out of my mouth that I wished I had not said, you know, that I was embarrassed of or ashamed of. I knew enough now, but I'm still saying them. Or thoughts that would come to my mind. This probably hasn't happened to anyone else. Thoughts that would come to my mind. Images that I wished I could just shut the door on, but somehow they just seem to be there and I feel like I am victim to them. Or maybe worst in some ways, uh, an apathy towards God or towards God's Word or towards perhaps the encouragements or the warnings other believers are speaking to me because I'm just sort of indifferent. I'm not checked in fully. I may be a new creation. That was my experience, but there was a lot of the old Mike around. Now, if you've read the Bible, and we'll spend a bit of time in Romans this morning, uh, Romans 7 is the classic text in all the Bible that describes my situation, my experience, and yours. If you're a, cre a Christian, if you're a new creation, you also have this experience that Paul had. So he said it this way, Paul was no slouch, right? And he's the apostle of apostles. If there's anyone on the earth that we want to model our life after in that day, it's this guy who writes these words. Paul says at verse 15, I do not understand my own actions, for I do what I do not want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 19, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Verse 21 through 24, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. This is the ESV, by the way. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see my members 
Another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And I'll bet you've sung this out if you've been a Christian any time, as I have many times. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? I'm tied up in my own sins. I've got a new mind. I know some things that are true now of God and of myself, but there's so much of the old that I'm still caught up with and I feel like I can't get away from it. It's like this nasty something that I'm chained to. I don't want to be, but that's the situation I find myself in. We tend to wonder, Lord, what is wrong? What's wrong with me? Maybe I'm not a Christian. I hope no one else sees how bad I really am. Or, or just the question, is there any hope for me at all? You know, others can't see into our heart, mind, and soul, but we know what's in there. If others knew about me what I know about myself, what would they think of me? Is there any hope for me? Now, when this process of enlightenment starts going on in our mind, We've trusted in Jesus. We have a new nature. We know who He is. We've got God's Word. We start reading it. We start growing. This is all good. But what do we do with the question, this nagging doubt that's related to those old things that still seem to be so fully a part of my life? The temptation for most Christians when this occurs is to think that this is really a bad thing. And that somehow God is out of control and my life is out of control and this is really a bad thing. And, and I would argue exactly the opposite. And I would argue that when the eyes of our heart start opening up to the reality of our sinful estate, that that is the gracious, loving work of the Holy Spirit in us showing us who and what we were apart from Christ and what God has saved us from, and what God in our life right now means to save us from. And this whole thing about uh, embracing who we are in Christ requires that we do something about what we were before. Because the who and the what we were before our conversion is still with us as long as we occupy this body. So when we start seeing this pattern of sin and we start having this experience with Paul, wretched person that I am, this is God at work showing us what was true of us all along the way. Paul says in Romans 7, Peter says later as well, that the experience of this conflict between the new and the old really is an internal warfare going on. It's civil war as it were. It's, uh, it's carnage, if you will. Paul will talk about it in a minute in Romans 8. <clears throat> it's an internal battle going on between the new person that we are and the old person that we were. So again in Romans 7 at verse 16, he says, If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And listen to the contrast Paul's making here. So he says, I'm not doing what I want. It's not me. It's sin that dwells in me. Verse 20, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And verse 25, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law 
of sin. So you notice in each of these phrases, Paul is parsing uh, within the, the totality of his person. He's saying it's almost like an us and a them. It's a me and it's this. So he says, it's no longer I, but it's sin. He says that twice. He says, with my mind, I myself serving God's law, but with my flesh, I'm serving the law of sin and death. And that's the warfare that the Christian awakens to after they start walking with the Lord for a while. It's the old me versus the new me. And the question becomes, what do I do about that? So Paul says there's a war waging on inside every Christian and that in essence, we are our own worst enemy. You know, Scripture talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, Those other two topics are for another day, but we have met the enemy and the enemy is within. I am my enemy. The old me is the enemy that I have conflict from within. 1 Peter 2.11 said it this way, Peter said, abstain from fleshly lusts. Why, Pete? Well, because they wage war on your soul. There's warfare going on inside the Christian. The term, depending on your translation and just the phrases that people you may have known through the years call this, we call this our old nature. It's called the old man. It's called the sinful nature. Paul calls it sin that dwells in me. These all translate the Greek term sarks. Sarks. And sarks generally means just the physical body. Uh, the, the body that you and I inhabit and walk around in. Paul's, uh, in essence, he's narrowing its use related to this subject. And for Paul's use, the sarks, the flesh, the old nature, it's the sinful disposition that you and I have from birth that denies God that may have flashes of brilliance, but which is otherwise part and parcel opposed to God and God's will. No matter how it gets dressed up, it's opposed to God and God's will. It's our bent to sin. It's our natural inclination tied to our flesh and blood body by our original sinful nature. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the flesh. Paul says it this way related to warfare and this internal strife in Galatians 5. He says the desires of the flesh, that old sinful nature, is against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So Paul says in Galatians 5, The Spirit's there. The Spirit's will is one thing. The flesh is there. The flesh's will is another thing. These things are always in opposition to each other. The Holy Spirit, the new life we have in Christ, and the old sinful bent. In Romans 8.18, and by the way, this is a verse that usually is brought up in relation to suffering for persecution. But the verse in context has nothing to do with suffering for persecution. It has to do with the Christian's experience the internal strife that they experience within. So Paul says this, the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to our future glory. The sufferings in Romans 8, following Romans 7, the sufferings Paul has been describing has been the experience of the Christian who has a new sinless nature like Christ's in the same building, if you will, with the old sinful nature. 
And the suffering is those two living side by side together. So the, the suffering in Romans 8.18, this, this raises it for Paul to a high level, does it not? That he says this suffering is intense, but it can't be compared to the glory to come. There's a real, there's a definite suffering, anguish, which is why back in Romans 7 at the very end of the chapter, Paul cries out to God, who can set me free from this experience? That's the suffering of 8.18. Last, Matthew 15.19, when Jesus says it's out of the heart that evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, false witness, and slander come, Jesus is putting His finger on the same thing we're talking about here. It's our old sinful inclination. Here it's the old sinful heart. It's our flesh. It's our old nature. Our hearts betray us because every inclination of the heart, the will, the mind that you and I were born with is opposed to God and God's will in one way or another. So we have met the enemy and the enemy is us. Now, this is bad news of a sort thus far, but don't worry because it gets worse. And, and the, the rest of the truth is this. You're not as bad as you think. You are in, indeed, you are far, far worse than you think. That's the bad news or the good news, depending on how we think of it, getting even better. You know, <clears throat> um, so I'm a new Christian, you're a new Christian. We start, we go to church maybe and... And we're starting to read our Bible like I did. And, and uh, so I'm supposed to change. My life is supposed to change. And so I get this concept. So I'm supposed to be a different person. And, and so I've got to put away some old things, right? My, my life should look different. And so I start to gain a concept in my mind of, of holiness, of transformation, of, of the term, the theologically laden term, we'd say sanctification, being set apart more and more fully for God. I sort of developed this thought that it's like uh, it's God's car wash. So uh, my, my car is dirty. So I'm going to drive into God's car wash and, and the brushes are going to go to work and the soap's going to spray on me and the dirt's going to get soft and, and I'm going to come out of God's car wash and my glass will be clean and my metal will be shining. You know, my tires will look new again. And you know the, the problem with that is it's absolutely unbiblical. That has nothing to do with God, what God does. And you know the, the problem is this. You can make that car look as shiny as possible on the outside. The real filth is inside. And the filth just oozes out the doors and the windows. And it doesn't matter how many times you scrub that car, how clean it looks on the outside. Inside it is filthy. It's not a little filthy. It's entirely filthy. It's so gross you wouldn't want to get in that car. But that car is your life and it's where you live. Christians, and this is the thing uh, that bugs me about myself and about you, frankly, that uh, on, on any given Sunday morning, do, do we not, uh, is the temptation not to come in and just play at church and play at being Christians and, and in our home groups and when we interact with each other? what we, we tend to do is we go through the car wash and we say, I think I'm looking okay today. You know, my hair's combed, maybe. And I've got uh, my cleaner jeans on or whatever. You know, I think I'm presentable. You know, when the truth is, a lot of us, we're coming in and we're miserable. And a lot of us are coming in and we're just sort of 
hanging our head or when we interact with each other, we're affable and everything's fine, but inside we're dying. And we're Christians and we're wondering, maybe I'm not a Christian. And I've got sins that are hanging on to me like you know the kittens with their little sharp claws. They're hanging on to me and no matter how I pull, I can't get rid of those and I just hope you don't see them. And I don't want to acknowledge them and I hope nobody else is aware of how sinfully deficient I am. And these are the temptations that you and I face as Christians and as believers. And guys, what this does, this view of growing in holiness and sanctification and cleaning up the outside, it makes us hypocrites and Pharisees. And you know what? It just leaves you dead. So you're dead on the inside anyway apart from Christ. Now you're just dead and you just experience more of those elements of death. This has nothing to do with what God wants for us. God's not interested in cleaning up the outside of your cup and mine or your car and my car. You know what? If you get cleaned up on the inside, do you know what happens without your trying? The outside changes too. But when we focus on externals, we're just religious. We're just like the Pharisees. We're like the people Jesus indicted because they didn't have God's heart. God was after truth in the inner man. That's what He wants for you and that's what He wants for me. And we've got to learn to say no to the temptation to go in and play church and play at being Christians. This has nothing to do with what God wants for us, His will for us. The fact that it gets worse, that the good news gets worse about our state, listen to what Paul says in Romans 7, 18 and 21. And um, guys, if you start theologically with a false supposition, you will never get where God wants you. And I'm convinced that the reason that we blow this, that we are so shallow, so annoyingly untransformed, is because we are starting at the wrong supposition. So this is Paul's supposition. Listen to what he says in Romans 7, 18. Paul says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. My flesh is the, the person that I was, my totality before conversion, before I have a new nature, before I'm forgiven. All I've got is my flesh. Paul says, uh, there's nothing good in my flesh. He says later in verse 21, I find the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Evil is present in me. You know, Christians, you know the only time we use terms like wicked and evil? It's with those people or crimes or criminals that we think they are the worst of the worst. Muslim extremists, they're evil. Uh, or, or uh, murderers, pedophiles, uh, whatever it is in, in our mind, that's the worst of the worst. We say, yeah, they're evil. But here you got the Apostle Paul. And he says, I find the principle that evil is present in me. And that nothing good dwells in my flesh. Guys, let that sink in. If we don't get this, nothing else makes sense. If you don't get this truth, nothing else makes sense. If there's something good in me, I have aspirations of getting better. And guys, Christians don't get better. You have an old sinful disposition. There's no good in it. It's evil and it's wicked and that's all it will ever be. And then you've got a new nature that's sinless. Did you know your new nature cannot sin? You read 1 John and you see these awesome contrasts. And On one hand, John says, if you say you don't sin, you're lying. But if you're sinning, you don't have the Spirit of Christ. Which is it? 
In fact, you go later into chapters 3 and, and 4, and those in Christ, they don't sin. Because they can't sin. Because the life of Christ inside me cannot sin. It's sinless. It will never sin. It's like Jesus. But guys, the flip side is this. My old sinful nature, the flesh, the sarks. It has not done one good thing in the entirety of its life and existence. There's no good in it. It's evil and it's wicked. That's the status we start from. Now, if we get this, there's hope for real transformation. When I start seeing how wicked and evil and deficient I really am, now there's room for hope because now I'm on God's page and now I can start engaging the way God wants me to so that I actually can grow and be transformed. If I told you you can do no good works, <clears throat> you might say, but Mike, um, I can feed the poor, I can clothe the homeless, I can do good things. And I would agree with you that generically we'd say those are good things. And you can take a reprobate, a, a terrible person in God's eyes, and they can do what we would call good things. But you see, this is the problem. God says that from his vantage point, because he sees everything about us, he says that in our fleshly nature, the one we're born with, the best version that we have of good works, he says they are filthy rags. They are so soiled you would not want to pick up your good works if you could see them as God does. In Isaiah 64, 6, he says it this way, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. So soiled, you wouldn't want to be next to it. God says from his vantage point, because he knows our motives, because he knows that in our flesh there's no good thing. We are all about us in the flesh. We are not about God, God's things, for God's reasons and purposes. Romans 8.8 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Not one thing you or I have ever done from our old sinful nature has ever pleased God, and it never will. And the only way you and I can ever please God is by walking in the new spirit, Christ's life within us, being led by the spirit, that pleases God. But you and I in our old sinful self, we can't do anything that pleases God. Let me, in my mind, I'm thinking of a person in history that you know. <clears throat> you just don't know who it is yet. And if I could take you back in a time machine to this little fella's, let's say, early weeks of life. And, and we saw this little fella, he's Caucasian, so he's a little pink baby there, cooing and gooing in his cradle. And we look down and we just know this is a little baby and isn't he cute and and uh, is he innocent? Isn't that little baby innocent? You know. But then if I told you, okay, well that little baby, that's Adolf Hitler. And then you'd look at him a little differently, wouldn't you? So now, you're not seeing an innocent, ooing, gooing baby. You now see in seed form, you see murder. You see a murderer. You see a wretched, vile person who would do anything to anyone. And your, your view of that person, that little baby, has changed because you now know what he's capable of and what he will in fact do. Well, God has looked down at you and me and He said, no good, evil, wicked. And God wants us to see ourselves from that vantage point because then we're off the hook of thinking, I'm going to become a better person. I'm not. And you're not either. 
You are either, as a Christian, you're either walking in the power of the Spirit and the new nature of Christ that cannot sin, or you're walking in the sinful flesh. And if you're walking in the sinful flesh, you're in sin every moment and every breath, every hour of every day. Because that thing never does right. All the capability of sin, it's in our sinful nature. And you know, the great thing about this is, uh, you know, I confess, when God, this has been a hard year for me. Uh, God's just blown my eyes open uh, earlier this winter on pride in my life in ways I had absolutely, I, I was sure I was good to go. No, I wasn't. Lust came up. You know what came up recently? Fear in ways that just embarrassed me. So when God shows me these things, my first response is anger. I'm ticked. Because I don't want to believe it. I don't want to believe that's true of me. I want to believe I'm better than that. And I'm not. And so after, you know, anger is a hard emotion to fuel very long, you know, so after my anger subsides... I start getting to the point where oh, I see it now, Lord. I'm seeing it the way You see it. And I'm starting to come to grips with that. And so then I start slowly moving to, Lord, would You help me do something about that? Because that's not something I want to carry. I don't want to be a slave to fear or lust or pride or greed or immorality or anything. I don't want to, but there it is. And so God's in the process of showing us that so we give up all hope in ourselves. And the hope then shifts to what God has done for us in Christ. When we gain a sense of how bad we are, God grows larger. If you think God saved you because you're a nice person, you've got to keep up being a nice person. What happens when you're not a nice person? Does God's love for you flag and fail? So this is the cool thing the more fully I realize how wretched I am apart from Christ, the greater I perceive God and His grace and His love. It's so cool. It's, it's opposite directions. And that's where God wants to take us. So we swallow those bitter pills. I really am that bad. And Lord, You are better than I knew before. Because the worse I see myself to be, the greater I understand God's love and grace to me to be as well. Isaiah 1.5 says, The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. That's true of you and me. What does God do about this? If that's the case, if we're sinful beyond redemption, if there's no good thing in us, if we're evil and wicked, what does God do in this whole arena of salvation? I'm not going to talk about a lot of stuff related to the Gospel this morning because we don't have time. We're, we're honing in on this issue of the old and the new within the believer. Um, so we'll, we'll save us some major gospel points for another day. But on this specifically, you know, we say God, Jesus came to save me. Uh, Jesus, came, Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And, and those are true. Those verses are true. I don't mean in any way to say they're not. But it's interesting that the way he goes about saving me is he's not saving me the way I think. God isn't saving you the way I'll bet you think, at least at times. Because when God says he saves us, he condemns us, and He slays us, and He kills us. God does not save the old you. He condemns the old you, and He slays the old you, and He makes a new you. And that's how He saves us, but He's not making that old thing better. He's assigned it the place of death. 
Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. This is verses 3 through 7. This is from the New American Standard. And Paul's using the, the symbolism of the water baptism of the believer. You remember in the early church, when someone believed in Jesus, they got baptized right away. So he's writing to believers about the baptism they've already experienced. And he says, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? We have been buried with Him through baptism into death. Verse 5, if we've become united with Him in the likeness of His death, and that doesn't mean we might have, it means we did. You were united with Him in the likeness of His death. He says at verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with because He who has died is freed from sin. What did God do with your old sinful disposition and nature? He crucified it. He didn't save it. He condemned it to death. And thank God that condemnation occurred for you and I in Christ's crucifixion on the cross. Galatians 2.20 puts it this way, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You know, I was so miserable as a new believer, this was my life verse. Back in the day, Galatians 2.20, that was it, because I'm miserable. And I want to experience that death so that I can experience new life. The answer to our dilemma, when we begin to grasp how truly wicked, evil, deficient, that nothing good dwells in us, is the realization that God condemned us, but He did it in Christ's crucifixion on the cross. He didn't slay us separate and apart from Christ. He included us in Jesus' death on the cross. You know, when we present the Gospel, we say routinely, Jesus died for our sins. And that's true and that's biblical. So we say, Jesus is the substitutionary atonement for me. He died instead of me. He died in place of me. And His blood, His death, covers my sins, my transgressions. That's true. But that's only part of what the Bible says about your connection with Jesus and the cross. The other part of your connection with Jesus and the cross is Jesus died for you, substitution, but you died with Him. That's your new identity. You died, the Bible says, with Christ on the cross. And that's what God did with your old sinful disposition. And it's based on death to our sin that we can now walk in freedom. This, uh, this issue that we're talking about this morning, is it a little sticky in here? Is it just me? Yeah, a little sticky. Um, this truth about the depth of our depravity. You know, you don't have to believe in Reformed theology and Calvinism to agree with Paul that nothing good dwells in you. And that you're evil. And that I'm evil. That's not somebody's pet theology. That's what the Bible says. We don't have to work our way around that. That's clearly what Jesus says, what God says about us. So, what do we do about this? How do you, how do you get around the old being with me, but the new is here? What does this look like? And this is what God calls us to do. I'm using the language of putting off and putting on. If you've got a study sheet there, we put off the old sinful disposition. We put on the new life in Christ. And we do so based on the truth of God's Word. You remember I said when um, I got saved, the brother was wise enough to ask me, do you feel any different? Because he knew I didn't. 
And, and so he was telling me, this is, Mike, this has nothing to do with the way you feel. These are based on facts. You're a Christian based on facts, the testimony of God's Word. Well, that's true in this arena of sanctification as well. So, Paul says in Romans 6, verses 6, 6 through 13, I'll wind through this sort of piecemeal. He says, we know that our old self was crucified in Him. That's what we know. He says, if we have died or since we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. If you notice the words here, verse 6, Paul knows something, he believes something in verse 8, he knows something in verse 9, and he considers something in verse 11. That word consider, uh, reckon, is a math word. It means count it up. Look at the facts. Add up the numbers, and this is the conclusion you have to come to. And Paul says, when I look at what God has done for me in Christ, I turn away from what I was. I realize God condemned it in Christ on the cross. And now you'll see in verse uh, 12 and 13, and then he faces towards God. He faces away from who and what he was. He faces to God. So he says at verse 12, he's already said, I know I've died. I was crucified with Christ. I've reckoned it up. I know it's true. So he says at verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who've been bought from death to life. I'm turning from what I was to who I am. I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning to God. In Romans 13, verses 12 and 14, he says it this way. Cast off the works of darkness. Throw them away. Put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put off and put on. Put off what you were, put on who and what you are now. In this way, if we grasp this, we understand that Christianity is not a set of rules to live up to. And this comes back to how do we get this thing done? How do I do these things? It gets back to faith. It gets back to faith. If all we do is try and keep an exterior set of rules, we're we're just religious people. We're not being transformed by God's grace and truth by His Spirit. So we're talking about an internal work in which we change from the inside out. So how do I put off the old and embrace the new? How do I turn away from the old me and turn to Christ? How do I get away from those sins that have been with me, seems like forever, that I have such a hard time dealing with? How does this happen? It happens two ways, uh, by faith and the Spirit. Two things. These things are not hard But for some reason, these concepts are very difficult to sell to believers. We we just have a tough time. We tend not to see that this is the way God calls us to grow in holiness. So, related to faith, Galatians 3, uh, Paul's writing to a community that had embraced the gospel and believed. But guys have come in after Paul and they've said, hey, uh, to keep your salvation, to be a good Christian, you've got to keep all these external rules and regulations. You've got to keep the Jewish law, by the way. You've got to get circumcised, a bunch of other stuff, too. So Paul's really concerned for them. Isn't it interesting that if you look at Jesus in the Gospel or Paul in the epistles, the ones they're blasting the loudest, most consistently, it's religious people. 
It's religious people. We want to be very wary of practicing religion versus walking with God in a new life by faith in the Spirit. So Paul says to these guys, hey guys, uh, it's not about your good works. It's about works of faith. Faith working itself out through love. It's about faith. And he says in verses 2 and 3, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? That's your conversion. They got the Holy Spirit and they knew it. Paul says, did that happen by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It was hearing with faith. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Is it now your own efforts that are now making you holy and righteous and acceptable to God? Is that what's really going on here? Of course, the answer is no, it's not. You began by faith, Paul says, and it's by faith that God means you to continue. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So God says to you and to me that if we want to grow in Christ-likeness, if we want to put off the old thing that we were, the sinful, deficient self that was me, there's no good thing in it. If I want to turn from that successfully and embrace the new creation status I have by Christ, new nature, then I've got to do so through faith. Well, then Paul says, well, faith comes by hearing God's word. So what you and I need related to growing in holiness and seeing real transformation is more faith. And if you and I need more faith, then we need more of the truth of God's word. So what might be something you and I could do to grow in faith? You might read your Bible. Wow. Amazing. Smart young man in the front row. I bet he's heard that before. We might. Read our Bibles. You know, matter of fact, if I'm struggling with the sin or with this concept of leaving old things behind and embracing new, maybe I'd be memorizing or meditating on these passages like Romans and Galatians that talk about this. I'd be in God's Word. And I'd be listening to the truth of God's Word, whether it's in a Sunday morning service or on the radio or in the songs I listen to. I'd be taking in God's Word and making it a part of me. If faith is what enables me to continue growing in my new spiritual life, I need more faith. I get more faith from God's Word. So we're in the Scriptures. I hope you're in the Scriptures every day. We're living it. We're breathing it. We're drinking it. This is the other thing. I practice this a lot more now than I used to, and it's really been helpful. So when I pray, or when I'm doing my self-talk, which I'm okay with, if you talk to yourself, that's okay, especially if it's along these lines. So when I'm praying, I'm just saying a lot more of this. Lord, I confess that Your Word is true and there's no good thing in me. And I see lust, I see pride, I see greed, I see arrogance, I see fear again. And, and I'm under no illusion, Lord. You've said that there's no good thing in me. And I'm agreeing with You. And agreeing with You on that, Lord, I also know that I'm a new creature by Christ's doing, that I have Your Holy Spirit, that You want me to walk in liberty and truth. And Lord, that's what I'm asking for today or I'll just start talking to myself and saying Mike you really are wretched and I don't mean this guys I'm not no one needs to save me for myself here okay when I say Mike you really are that bad you're wretched there it is again don't be surprised but this is the other side of the truth God really loves me and God really loved me back in the day when I had no idea how bad I was God loved me then ignorant as well as willful and sinful He loved me then. God loves me now. I can't get any more of God's love. He can't be any more delighted with me than He is already in Christ. 
We may have some fellowship issues along the way, and my dad may discipline me at times, speak to me at times, address me at one thing and another, but God has no less love for me or for you as His children at any time than a parent has for their children. He may disobey in the moment, and their parents may have some discipline going on, there may be some friction, but there's no less love, there's no less commitment. That's the thing for you and I in this relationship too. So we want to tell ourselves these things. Speak to your soul the truth. And when you pray, pray the truth. Lord, this is what your word says about me. I accept it. That's living by faith. That will take you down the road to transformation. And the last thing is we do so by the Spirit. You know, Jesus was going to leave his disciples in uh, John 14, and, and they're not liking the sound that he's going to leave, and they're not going to see him. They're not going to have him. But he, he told them, hey, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So, at Pentecost, the Spirit comes, right? And guys, if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says in Romans 8, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. So if you've believed in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. And think of that for just a second. You're more glorious as a Christian than the Temple of Solomon on Mount Zion. You know, the glory of God left that Holy of Holies. But if you have the Holy Spirit, you have the presence of Christ that will never leave. You have eternal life. You've passed out of judgment into life. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. The power of God that created the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God that hovered over the surface of the deep in Genesis 1, 1 and 2 about to order the cosmos. That's the power of God in you and in me. This transformation is occurring through faith, but we also have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to help us exercise this faith. In Romans 8, Paul says, uh, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We still have the element of sin and death in us. But Paul says now there's a, a greater law that puts to death, as it were, what was still true of me in my sinful nature. That I've got a higher law. You know, we've said before, uh, the law of gravity keeps my feet firmly planted on the ground, right? But the law of aerodynamics says that if I have a foil, a wing shaped a certain way, and I propel it forward, that the law of aerodynamics can overcome the law of gravity. And God says through Paul that the law of the Spirit has overcome the law of sin and death in your life and mine. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't lack power, guys. We lack will. We lack knowledge. We lack heart for what God has said is true of us. It's the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's the power to choose life over death. I know many of you fairly well, and I know that like me, you have sin in your life. And sin that you're embarrassed of, ashamed of, tired of. This is the way out of that sin. See, thankfully, there's no sin issue between us and the Father. The sin is covered as far as justification. We're wholly blameless in God's sight. Absolutely because Jesus died for us in our place. But this is the thing. This is the difference between you and I being carnal Christians, cleaning up the outside of our car while the inside is filthy, or really gaining some sense of freedom that I used to be like that, but I'm not anymore. 
that I have a new way of life, that there is a new me. Have you ever had someone come up and say to you that they found it hard to believe, depending on what your lifestyle was before conversion? I had a guy that wore glasses like I do now, and, and I was talking to him about, I was a Christian, I'm sharing the gospel with him, and I, I told him what my life had been like before. He does this, you know, they're not buying it, right? He says, I find that hard to believe. I said, well, it's true. So, because there, even at that point, there had been real transformation. But that's what God does. So, we do not want to practice being religious, guys. It's a game not worth playing. We don't want to be Pharisees. We don't want to play at church. We don't want to put on happy faces. If we'll recognize what God says is true of the old me, vile, wicked, evil, nothing good in it, not worth saving, crucified in Christ, but I've given you a new life based on Christ's own spiritual genetics and DNA, if you will. Just like Jesus, it's growing up on the inside also. When I walk in that new life, you know what? I don't sin. And that new nature can't sin. That's exciting to me. By the way, on the song that we started uh, thinking about heaven, you know when you and I are parted from this body, sin is forever gone. There's no temptation anymore because sin is connected to the flesh and blood body. You know, one of the reasons, especially the older you get, it's not just that the body start breaking down. It's the realization that I won't have to put up with these sinful temptations anymore. When I die and go to heaven, those temptations, they don't cling to me anymore. I don't even have to confront them anymore because they're gone. They're, they're tied to this flesh and blood body and resurrection life in Jesus forever and ever. Guys, there's no sin. There's no temptation. All that torment, all that conflict that we face here, that's over and gone. So... Let me just encourage you, this is not an esoteric message. If you've bought that Jesus died for your sins and that's how you go to heaven, this is no more than the same thing extrapolated. It's just more the same. If you began by faith, you continue by faith. Jesus didn't save nice people. He saved sinners. And He saved them by condemning them in His own death and then giving us resurrection life in a new nature and empowering us by the power of His Spirit to walk in that new life. That's what we want to be about. Father, would You help us to repent of shallow thinking and shallow living? Father, of degrading Your grace and Your mercy and Your love to us in Your Son Jesus by thinking more of ourselves than we ought and less of Your grace and love. Father, would you help us to come to terms with these so we really could begin to resemble that glorious church without spot or wrinkle because we really are experiencing that transformation of the inner man. Lord, that we're not working to build up the old exterior of our house, but there's a renewal inside that other people can't help but see. Lord, would you help us to honor us in this life by walking by faith and your spirit in the new creation status that is our birthright. In Jesus' name, amen.